Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, you say your spirit that we we would not be alone. So give us new ears to hear your spirit's guiding in our lives as individuals and as a community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Henry David Thoreau, the poet and philosopher, once wrote these words. The gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. We will worship something. Therefore, it, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. I think Thoreau intended those words as a cautionary tale. If what we worship is what we hold most precious, what we dedicate ourselves to most fully, what we practice most diligently, that will shape who we become. And so if we make gods of money or fame or power, they will write their names on our faces and we will be readily recognized as greedy or vain or domineering. That will be written all over us. And so Thoreau is right. We should be careful what and whom we worship. But today, as I look out at you, the good people of St. George's, I don't see any of those distortions of identity. Instead, I look out at our gathering and I see qualities that I recognize as reflections of a very different sacred dimension. Something beautiful and blessed is written upon our faces today. Surely in the many communities who have gathered, something beautiful and blessed has been written on the faces of those gathered over the last number of weeks. As we have seen the lingering shock and pain at the senseless death of brothers and sisters, we did not have the privilege to know. Yet we all claim kinship too. I see compassion for survivors, for the devastated, grieving families of victims. I see brokenheartedness that comes from our assumptions for our safety and our fondest dreams for freedoms laid to waste by hatred and violence. And I see courage to face this tragedy with others who may differ from ourselves in a variety of perspectives but whom we nevertheless deeply respect and whom we can even acknowledge in a profound way. And that implies to me that what we worship is nothing trivial or weak or self-serving or small. There is love in our midst. It is the bedrock of all things, I believe. 
There was a story shared that I read about a gathering in Orlando after the shooting that I wanted to share with you. One person said she had participated Monday night in a vigil in Orlando for the victims and found herself angry and tearful and hopeless. And turning to go, she was followed by a woman who clearly wanted to comfort her. The comfort seemed like an impossibility just then. But the two of them talked a little bit about the unthinkable act in the Pulse nightclub and how someone could have been brought to do such a thing. And the woman, the comforter, said this in somewhat of a matter-of-fact tone, I imagine. Well, honey, I think that shooter lost his love. Well, honey, I think that shooter just lost his love. I think so, too, the other said. But here is the hope to which we may cling, that we don't have to lose ours. The love is more powerful than hatred. The love is deeper than anger. The love is more penetrating and wiser than any schemes for harm. The love wins. And that is why our tears are not shed in vain if they are tears of loss and also of love. They are tears of hope for love's capacity to change everything. They are tears for hope, for peace, even in the face of ISIS in Iraq. That is our God, the author of love, whom we worship. As I looked at our epistle today, I thought... You know, in essence, what it is saying to me is to live by the Spirit means to allow the Spirit to guide us. To be people of love means to let go and let love in and that let love flow out of us. But it requires that we be first conscious of how the Spirit works in our lives how the Spirit speaks and leads each one of us uniquely and particularly. When I was much younger, I assumed we all heard God in the same way. And in time, I learned that was not the case at all. That how God spoke to me in his still small voice was different than my best friend. Recently, I was challenged to really get conscious about how God speaks to me. And I want to share that with you because I think it's illustrative and instructive for us to know what mind, what voice we are acting out of and following. There is our own mind and our impulses as the, spirit, as the scripture talks about today. 
that leads down a path that is less than fruitful, and then there is the listening to the Spirit's guidance that leads us to a whole other way of life, a whole other way of reflecting God and the world. And it is, a, unfortunately, a one-time deal. I'm going to follow, I've decided I'm going to follow this Jesus as we sang. There is no turning back, but there is standing still, there is stepping to the side. Following takes leaning in and listening, pausing long enough before you make a decision to say, what do you have to say about this, God? That was the case before I came here. I thought I had heard God's call to be a chaplain. And I just threw out this casual prayer of, if I'm running from being a rector, just let me know. And I'd forgotten that until I kept getting calls from the diocese. Why don't you go talk to this place, St. George's? No, I'm good. I've heard from God, and I am going over here. No, we really want you. And then I remembered that prayer. Oh, oh. God had other plans, better plans. So take a moment, if you will, and imagine a time when you made a decision where you were actively seeking God's voice, where you were actively seeking the Spirit's guidance in a decision. Can you think of a time where the Spirit maybe even broke in and gave you direction. What did that feel like? Where did you hear that? Was it a feeling in your belly? Was it a feeling in your heart? Was it in your head? Where were you? What was the environment like? What is conducive to hearing God's voice for you? For some, it's out with a fishing pole. For some, it's on a golf course. For many, it's on their knees. What did you do in response to that voice and that nudging, that impression? Did you have peace? What were the emotions around it? What came to mind for me was a time in which I was discerning whether or not I was to be a pastor. And I took a class because I really didn't think I could study any longer. I was old, I thought, at the time of, like, I was in my early 40s. But that was old, it seemed, to be going back to school. I was taking a Psalms class, and there in this class we had to do a book study and report. And there was one book that was about preaching the Psalms, and there were three of them. It was a class of about 12 folks. There were most of them pastors. And I begin to calculate, and I'm watching and looking at how many pastors are in the room and thinking they're all going to want that book. But something in me was so afire, I thought I was going to die. And it felt like this burning flame in my belly. Now, if you told me that that's how God could speak to you, I would have laughed at you. But 
I was in such a twix, I thought I was going to have to jump up and throw myself across the table to get this book. I was, this is what's going on inside of me, but I'm trying to play it cool and act like I don't care. And then I said to the man next to me, who happened to be a Baptist minister, I said, I have to get that book. I think if I don't preach, I'm going to die. And it felt like there was a fire shut up in my bones, that if I did not let it out, it was going to consume me. That's a crazy situation. I thought I was losing my mind, and I said so to this kind neighbor. What possessed me to say anything out loud at all, I don't know, but other than God. And he said, darling, you just go ahead and get one of those books, and I want you to come to my church once you get to preaching. And I thought, surely God is doing something, because Baptist ministers do not invite women to come preach in their church. That is just one example. It wasn't how I would have expected if you'd said, how does God talk to you? Right? But the spirit was moving in my heart and my body, pressing in, threatening to burn me up. So now imagine this in your mind's eye, a time that you made a decision on your own with no regard for God's plan. I hate to say that I probably do that more often than I would like to admit. What did you do? What did you not do? What were the emotions before, during, and after the decision? Was there a bit of self-righteousness, smugness, kind of like my, no, I know where I'm going. I'm over here. I'm going this way. I'm pretty sure. What were the fruits of these decisions? You see how as we take time and just be conscious of those two types of scenarios in our lives, how it can become instructive for helping us to know how God talks to us, how God moves in our lives. Maybe you want a spiritual director to walk alongside you. That's someone who that's their their role is to help you to hear how God talks to you in your life, to help you discern, not to tell you what to think. That's how we are different than the Baptist church or other traditions where I'm up here telling you what to think. We respect the spirit is on the move and is going to illumine the word to you. But what I would say is that you've got to make conditions right for such conversation. You've decided to follow Jesus, but have you made space to listen for God's spirit and guidance? Space in your busy schedule. Maybe even a set place where you go and commune with God the first thing, give him your best, even if it's five minutes, 15 minutes. Five minutes of just in silence, ten minutes of reading scripture, or five minutes silence, five minutes reading the scripture, five minutes praying over your day. But if you sat one place in your home, made it pretty, maybe put flowers where you go and sit and consult with God, before you begin your day, 
It might make conditions ripe. It might be the place that then you can run when the world goes nuts and people go killing folks. They shouldn't. So I encourage you, not only have you decided that may you make conditions ripe for following Jesus, may you press on towards the goal which lies ahead. And may you know that love is written all over your faces. And let that be what you then show to the aching, worried world. Let us reflect all that we hold dearest, all that we most worthily worship, all that we love. Let us be bearers of healing and hope in this war-torn world. For blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Amen.